Hello, and welcome to episode 4 of Welcome Dawn. Today's guest is Robert Connor, wonderful midfield player for the Dons in the late 80s and early 90s. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. Now, without further ado, let's get into the episode. Along to episode four of All Being Done. Delighted to be joined by my guest today, um, Robert Connor. Robert, thanks so much for joining me. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, so, uh, your Aberdeen career, you, do, you joined the Dons in 1986 um, from Dundee. Uh, you're already quite an established player, of course. From, you played for Scotland uh, before joining the Dons. Uh, what are your memories about? the initial approach to join Aberdeen? Were there rumours before that, or was it a bit of a surprise? Um, it wasn't a surprise. There were uh, rumours at Dundee at the time. Um, there was a bit of confusion because Jockey Scott was the manager at Dundee at the time. Obviously, Archie Knox had left the previous season, went back to Aberdeen. And um, at that time, uh, there was two transfers became kind of common knowledge of two teams interested in Dundee players at the same time. One was Hearts who were interested in John Brown and one was Aberdeen that were interested in myself. Uh, and Jockey had told me that uh, the Hearts one was further down the line um, and that uh, they were in discussions with Hearts regarding a transfer fee and everything for John. Um, personal terms had been agreed. So um, if John went to Hearts, then uh, I wouldn't be going to Aberdeen, or the talks hadn't even opened with Aberdeen, so basically they were only going to lose or sell one player, and if John had went to Hearts, then they, they wouldn't even have started talking to Aberdeen about my, my uh, transfer. So fortunately for me, and probably in the long term, fortunately for John Brown as well, he failed a medical because he had no cartilages in his knees, which was <laughs> for somebody, I think he was only about 25 at the time or something like that. And um, he had, had all or, or mostly all of his cartilages taken out of his knees. Um, so Hearts didn't sign him for that reason. And my move to Aberdeen went ahead and went through. Um, and as I say, fortunately for John as well, it was only a matter of months probably before Rangers came knocking at his door and uh, Dundee sold John to Rangers, which was, and he was there for a long time after that. So probably worked out better for both of us that the Hearts thing fell through for him. It definitely would sound a bit. So like, in that sort of time as well, like if that transfer had been now and you'd been linked with um, a team like Aberdeen who were like the big, a big, big, the big, big team at the time, um, and they're saying, well, you're not going to go if we sell John Brown to Hearts. Now a player would be like, well, I'm not going to play unless you sell me. So it's, it's a different mentality. Was that what it was like then? It was more of a, well, I'm not going there, so I'll just carry on playing for Dundee. Um, no, no, it was a totally different time. And I, I was kind of brought up in an era where uh, when I joined Air United as a young player, there were no agents and the, 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 the contract situation with players was different before the Bosman situation came in. 
So the club held your registration. So even at the end of your contract at that time, uh, way back before the Bosman era, uh, you weren't free to leave the club at the end of your contract because whoever wanted another club, if they wanted you, they would have to pay a transfer fee to buy your registration for your contract. That's how it worked at that time. So I was brought up in that era when it wasn't, uh, you just jump from club to club to club, if you like, when your contract finishes. You were really bound to the club that you played for unless that club agreed to let you go. So that was always, that was kind of setting my mentality that that was kind of how it worked. At the time, and in D in 86 at that point, that's when uh, agents were relatively new at that time on the scene. And uh, I didn't have an agent. Um, I don't think John Brown had an agent, but there was only one or two players at that point had agents. They quickly picked up in the kind of following years uh, and more players had agents. But even to the end of my time in 1994, well, I left Aberdeen in 94, went to Kilmarnock. I was never involved with agents. There were one or two players at Aberdeen at the time. I know Stuart McKimmy had an agent. Um, and another couple, obviously, Charlie Nicholas came to Aberdeen. He obviously had an agent. But um, even like Sir Willie Miller and Alec McLeish, uh, you know, they they did their own stuff as well. Probably that's why they stayed at uh, Aberdeen for, their <laughs> for all their careers. So um, I think players at a certain age... Uh, kind of had a different view on uh, whether you, you know it was right to move and just jump from club to club. I think they had a wee bit more respect for the club that they were at. But I think nowadays, um, I think nowadays uh, it's went the opposite way. Whereas the clubs abused this, that system and they held on to players, unhappy players could be left just to malinger, you know, for a year or two until their contract ran out. Um, but now, and clubs did abuse it that way, but I think now certainly players, you know, and maybe no players, but agents in particular abuse it the other way. So as usual with most things, there's, there's never a happy medium, you know, so. Mm. But uh, no, that's that's how it all happened at Dundee uh, to Aberdeen for me. And did you have to be sold on the move then? Or were you like, yeah, no, I want to go here, I want to go and play with these guys? Or um, did, did like the manager sell it to you? It was What was involved in that? Was it an easy negotiation? Um, well, what, what was involved in that was a uh, jockey uh, brought me into the office after training one day and said John's moved to Hearts had fell through. Uh, Alec Ferguson and Archie Knox are coming down to speak to you this afternoon. So just hang about here. Don't go home. And uh, Archie and... Uh, Fergie duly arrived. I knew Archie, obviously, because he'd been the Dundee manager for the two years I was there. Um, but, Fer, you know, Fergie basically just said, she's told me a lot of good things about you. When you come to Aberdeen, we're looking for this, that, the next thing. Uh, so I'll uh, get the, the paperwork all sorted out here um, and just leave it with Archie. And you sign that and I'll see you tomorrow in Aberdeen. <laughs> so uh, that was the so Julia obliged I signed the contract and, and went up to Aberdeen the next morning within a matter of what weeks he's gone is it uh, yeah it was a couple of months I think uh, before he went to 
Manchester United. But uh, I, I mean, there's obviously lots of stories about Fergie and being a bit wild in the hairdryer and all that kind of stuff. But to be honest, when I was there um, for the couple of months, he was fairly mellow. And in hindsight, it was because I think he maybe knew that he was there was a chance that he was going south. He turned down, he turned down a few big clubs down south because I think he wanted to get the man new job. I think that was what he wanted to do, and he waited in that until it uh, until it happened, basically. So, uh, but I think he was a, he, you know he was a wee bit uh, milder than he than he had been previously. I think he had kind of achieved so much at Aberdeen. Wasn't there really anything left for him to achieve, and he needed a new challenge, a bigger challenge. And I think he went on, and you know, the, the rest is history. The great uh, the legacy he left at Manchester United. Of course. Uh, so when you uh, first started, obviously you played against most of the, those players um, in the previous few seasons. But how did you feel when you went into training and stuff? How did you? Who impressed you uh, in the in that squad? Um, it was a bit slightly different. When Archie was at Dundee, um, I, and I saw that when I went to Aberdeen uh, subsequently, I saw the kind of uh, the similarities. Archie had tried to do similar things at Dundee. Um, but it was, you know, Aberdeen, Fergie had been there for quite a few years. You know, it was well entrenched, everything that Fergie had put in place. And uh, what, what struck me most really was... Uh, uh, in the dressing room, uh, we had Willie, Willie Miller, Alan McLeish, and Jim Leighton at the time, that triangle as they called it there. And Willie Miller and Alec in particular um, were very, very vocal in terms of how important it was to win every game and, and how important success was to the club and how, you know, how, dis, you know, how, absolutely disappointed uh, they were if we didn't win a game, if we drew or whatever, then there was a, a big a big show of, uh, you know, that failure wasn't, it's not accepted basically. Um, so that was a big difference because indeed we were a club just, uh, when I went there, they were just out the first division just to, trying to establish themselves in the Premier League. And survival was the main thing. So to see the other side of the coin where, you know, winning every game is so important. If we, we Obviously, winning games is important at Dundee, but for a different reason. It was to try and keep your head above water. We'd win a game, lose a game, draw a game, win a game. And, you know, if you get two or three wins, oh, it's good. We're, we're seeing ourselves, you know, sixth in the table or fifth in the table. We're doing well. That's a success for Dundee, but for Aberdeen, you had to be top of the table or you had to be winning the Cups, that type of thing at that time. And that's what Fergie had instilled at the time there. And that kind of, in the dressing room, was came out from specifically Willie Miller and Alec McLeish. And that's what really kind of struck me most, was it was that was so visible at the time. And how did you find that personally? Did you uh, find that easy to get into that new mentality or did you you struggle a little bit with it? Well, it's just another form of trying to be successful, I think. I think when I look back in my career, um, I think I was fortunate in terms of when I arrived at clubs. 
except Aberdeen, maybe the opposite there, because when I arrived there, <laughs> Graham Soonis arrived at Rangers and unleashed all this money and brought him all these big players. So, but all the other clubs I, I was at, with the United, uh, the end indeed just in the Premier League. When I left Aberdeen, I went to Kilmarnock, who were just in the Premier League. They were all ambitious, but in a different way uh, from Aberdeen. Aberdeen wanted to win things, whereas the ambitions of these other clubs uh, were to were, were to survive. That was their goal. So we always had a goal. There was no teams that were expecting to get relegated, expecting to get relegated, thinking with that kind of men, losers mentality. They all had a winning mentality to try and win games, and the managers were the same. So I always think I was quite lucky in that respect that uh, I was never at a club uh, that got relegated, or I was never in a club that felt they might get relegated. There was always a positive mentality at the clubs. So the only difference at Aberdeen was that the, the, the positive mentality meant winning things, winning leagues or winning cups. As I say, um, 86 coincided with Graham Soonis arriving at Ibrox and then making the playing field a wee bit uneven. Whereas uh, in financial terms, because the playing field previous to that had been pretty level. Rangers and Celtic always had a wee bit more money than likes yeah. Aberdeen. But Aberdeen were successful, so they were... And Dundee United to a, a, a different respect because Jim McLean liked to... He, he would reward the players, which is, uh, people say it was, a, it was a great way of looking at it. He would reward the players for, first of all, appearing in the first team, secondly, winning games. So they might have been on a low basic, but if they, if they appeared in the first team, they would get a big appearance money uh, bonus. And if they win the game or drew the game, they would get a big, much bigger than the Aberdeen bonuses, although the Aberdeen basic wages were, were higher. But in terms of Dundee United were successful and Aberdeen were successful, money-wise, there wasn't much difference in what the players would get. Whereas right, Rangers and Celtic were a bit better. They were a bit higher. But when Soonis came to Rangers, that just went through the roof in the gulf in terms of finance. As it remains today, that's when that started. Mm. Um, Is that so something that... difficult to compete against that. Is that something that, like, as a squad, you would it would start getting talked about. It was like, oh my God, they've just signed the England goalie, or they've just signed you know Terry Butcher. You know, so like, what's going on there? You know, how are we going to be able to yeah. compete with that sort of thing? Aye, and, and and I think in in a couple of different ways because you you begin to hear as as you do in any industry, you begin to hear the wages the players are getting and that type of thing. So guys like Willie Miller, Alec McLeish, who'd been at Aberdeen for a long time began to have, well, Terry Butcher's just arrived at Rangers and Chris Wood's just arrived. And instead of getting, kind of talking about the the hundreds or the, the, the 1,200 quid a week, we're talking about hundreds of pounds a week, they began to talk in maybe thousands or tens of thousands a week, you know. And then <laughs> you see the likes of Willie and Alec thinking, geez, we're, we've done all we've done up here, we've won what we've won, and these guys are appearing from nowhere and getting all this money, you know. So... Um, so probably affected them more than the likes of myself who just came to Aberdeen at that point um, and I had gradually increased my wages going for air to Dundee, Dundee to Aberdeen so just a normal thing but the likes of the experienced players who had won European tournaments and won leagues and that type of thing are now competing against a Rangers team that's uh, totally transformed 
and the players there are getting rewarded with uh, tremendous uh, financial incentives and wages and that type of thing. So it all changed then when Souness came. And even Celtic were left behind. But Aberdeen, I mean, I was at Aberdeen for eight years. And I think in these eight years, I think we were second behind Rangers in the league five times, uh, which is a probably a, a legacy from the Miller McLeish era. They were still there. Uh, Jim Bett, uh, there was a few changes made, obviously, but uh, the Aberdeen was still uh, a strong side and, and still wanted to compete. But just gradually through the years, it became obvious that Rangers were moving into a different stratosphere. And then when uh, Fergus McCann came to Celtic, then he transformed them. And when he, when he left them, he left them in a very good position. And they were able to compete with Rangers. So, uh, aye, so Celtic and Rangers at that point had moved away from Aberdeen and Dundee United. So there was a, definitely a top two. Um, and then Dundee United, Aberdeen, Hearts, Hibs, if you like, and the rest. So that's, there was a big split there. And I think it, it became difficult for the players, the manager, the fans as well to accept, you know, because of we had been very competitive up until that point and gradually got slightly less competitive as the years went by. And uh, and and we are where we are now. And uh, I don't think there'll be a club outside out with the old firm will win the league ever, ever again. Unless some, uh, somebody in Saudi Arabia decides to take a... I love for Rowies or something like that and decides to buy the Dons or something, I don't know. Um, so, as the, the first couple of years at Aberdeen, obviously, had, and then Ian Porterfield was there for a bit, and then Alex Smith and Jockey Scott, as you mentioned, and uh, that was, that year you had three League Cup finals against Rangers, uh, losing the first two, and then finally winning the second one. And um, the influence, uh, the influx almost, maybe not quite influx, it was only four or five people, of the Dutch market, obviously, they, like, Van der Ark, Snelders, uh, Paul Mason coming over from the Netherlands as well. Uh, what are your memories of that sort of time, the players coming over to the Netherlands and then particularly the winning the 1990 uh, League Cup and yeah. Scottish Cup? Well, whoever replaced Fergie was never, it was always going to be a no-win situation. Um, and Ian Porterfield was there for a couple of years, I think, um, and uh, brought a couple of players to the club. Um, but we had we didn't really have any great success at that point. But when Alex Smith came with Jockey Scott and Drew Jarvie, then um, they we bought very well in the market. I mean, the Dutch players all made a contribution, some a wee bit more than others, like Sir Theo Snelders and Hans Hillhouse, I would suggest, probably the, the, the biggest impact. Paul Mason, who's no Dutch, but came for that side, made a tremendous uh, had a tremendous input as well to the club. Uh, and then big villain Van der Aert, Peter van de Ven, and latterly uh, Theo Tenkat also made a good contribution. Big villain, a bit of a cult hero now with the, with mm. the supporters. Um, also made a good con contribution as well. So I think at that stage, certainly uh, 89, 90, 91, when we lost the league at, to Rangers Ibrox in the last day, was the, in my time at the club, was the best spell mm. um, when the Dutch players got brought in. And um, 
and we 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 did we competed very well. And I mean, we, in the the year you're talking about, we won both cups. Um, we beat, I think we beat, I think I'm right in saying we beat Celtic in the semi final. Oh, sorry, we beat Celtic in the final of this Scottish Cup, but we beat Rangers in the final of the League Cup. We might, I don't know who we played in the semis. So I think it was one one of the cups we beat one of the old firm in the semi and the other of the old firm in the final. So we didn't. Yeah, I think it was Dundee United in the Scottish Cup. It was Dundee United in the Scottish right. Cup semi final. I was speaking to Brian Irvin last week and he was uh, he was talking about it. Oh, right, he knows that. He's got a better memory than me. He does. He's um, got he's an encyclopedic memory for games, that boy. He was <laughs> rattling through every every uh, every every fixture and, and the scores and everything. It was like, uh, 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 He's obviously not got a lot to do with his time nowadays. He's <laughs> 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 been reading all the books. <laughs> um, but uh, no, and, and in the League Cup, uh, the third, as you say, of the trilogy, which, fun enough, all the, all the games were good games. You know, the cup final was uh, the actual, uh, if any neutral went along to watch the game, the actual game of football itself, the three games we played against Rangers were all good games, good high standard and a uh, few goals and that type of thing, uh, which is sometimes unusual for a cup final uh, because uh, there's a lot at stake, so it can be cagey, as was the Scottish Cup final against Celtic, which was a poor game. But uh, the three game, three league cups against you, all great games. And uh, fortunately, we, we, we did manage to win the last one, but we had to win it because <coughs> uh, before, when we were lining up in the, the dressing room, before we went out on the park, uh, Big Alec uh, shouted to everybody, as he usually did, but no in this respect, but he shouted, turned around, shouted to everybody, right, if we don't win this one, don't even bother coming back in. So... Uh, we knew that uh, we knew that we had to win that one. Unfortunately, we did. They, yeah, it was. Like, it's been a couple of years since the the club had won something as well, and like obviously being so used to success. And obviously, as you said, as you touched on earlier, the the change at Ibrox as well, and then going to Ibrox in '91 to to need that draw. The team went on such a run, um, and the, in the lead up to that game, it was seven points behind with ten games to go. And you go to Ibrox, uh, just needing a draw to win the league. You're like twelve games undefeated in the build-up to that as well. Uh, th- what was it about that particular team in that run that uh, that just worked? Was did, was the team settled? Did, did was everybody just on form at the same time? What sort of, what sort of worked? Yeah, I think we had a the, the players had the Dutch players had been there for a couple of years and. Uh, and we had a pretty established setup. There's a couple of young players that came through at the time. Uh, Ian Jess and Scott Booth, um, in particular, made a big impact in the first team, um, and a few other uh, young players as well uh, were coming through too. So it was a good. That, that was a. That, as I say, that was my. If I look back, that was the best time at the club because I mm. think the first team in terms of a pretty settled side, maybe they had. 13, 14 players that were playing every week. Um, and we had young players that were pushing the older players as well, a bit of enthusiasm and legs, good legs as well. So um, I think that was, there's no any doubt that that was at the strongest, the strongest team we had in my time at the, the club. But um, 
I think the we had guys like, and as I said previously, Hans Hillhouse, who was a fantastic player for the Scottish uh, League, you know, in, in, in any league really, he was a ter terrific player, Hans. Um, and we had a pretty settled side as well. And I think in that run, we had more or less the same team out every week. Um, and that was one of the things that Alex, it was a decision that Alex Smith and, and Jockey and Drew made in the final game of the season when they changed the actual, they, they changed the personnel and the, and the formation, um, which they did on, we didn't know this until the day of the game. So right. they, they changed that situation. So, and Alex Smith in the team meeting before we went to Ibrook said that, uh, because I think we'd played 4-3-3 all the way up to the, through that run, and he changed it to 4-4-2. Um, and the reason he said, he says it wasn't being negative, but he said he genuinely felt, looking at Rangers and looking at us, this was the best, it was the best way we could win the game. He didn't want to draw the game, he wanted to win the game. So he was making the change for that reason. Um, now, obviously in hindsight, in the game itself, we had a couple of chances. Uh, we'd one early on and one later in the first half, I think. Normally, certainly the one Hans Hillhouse had where he had a header at the back post, a pretty close range. What he headed, he headed past the post instead of in the in the goal. Um, so uh, we we were as a team still confident of going there and winning the game because we were on a great run. Um, and I mentioned the fact that Alec changed the the, the formation uh, and the personnel because the easiest thing for him to do would just be to stick with the same team. Mm -hmm. Don't change it. Stick with the same team. That's me thinking in hindsight. You don't really think about these things for too long at the time because you've got the game in front of you. But in hindsight, after the game and when you're depressed and thinking back on it, I wonder why the manager did that. But the easy thing for him to do, and he took a lot of stick, and I think ultimately that cost him the Aberdeen job the following season when uh, they get the sack and Willie took over. Um, but... It would have been easy for them, the easiest thing to do, just keep the same team. And if we lost, then, you know, nobody would have been critical of them because we had such a great run. Who would, who would change the team? Mm -hmm. Because we lost, that's why he got all the criticism. Why did he change the team and all the rest of it? So I can understand that point of view and probably a point of view I agree with. But I have to emphasize the fact that Alex Smith obviously did believe that he was making the change for, for to win the game and he knew that he would be hung out to dry if we didn't win the yeah. league. So uh, it probably took more courage for him to do that than stick with the same team, which is, I'm not saying what he did was right, but what I'm saying he, he, he must have really believed that that was the best way to do it. So, um, if you change in, in a formation change like that to a four rather than a three, how much change is there in your personal game? Like, do, is is it where you're looking or where you're you're passing? Is that does that change because there's four people across the midfield and you're, you're maybe picking up somebody else that you normally wouldn't have if you were playing in a three? 
Well, it, uh, because we had played the same formation for the last for, for the good run we had been on. What, what happens in, in that case is that uh, you become used with the players that you're playing in your area of the field. Uh, you know where the players are or will be on other areas of the field as well if you're looking for switches or play that type of thing. So you, you become comfortable with the people that are round about you, how they play, what they do. You become to, you, you recognize circumstances and you know what they're going to do before they do it because you, you become you just you become used to how each other thinks and how each other plays. So it disrupts that slightly, but we we were I mean Aberdeen at that point were a mostly experienced side with a couple of youngsters. So I mean it wasn't really a, a major factor in um, that the players couldn't play that four four two. Obviously more than capable of doing that. Um, but it, it slightly disrupts the, the kind of flow, if you like, when you're in possession of the ball, of how you play the game and how you move forward and that type of thing. But uh, not to the degree that it was something that the players weren't capable of doing. Hmm. The, so the, 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 that summer after that, obviously everyone's going to be pretty flat, um, given what's what's happened. And then... Just early on in the season, Jockey Scott leaves for Dunfermline and it just leaves Alex Smith uh, on his own managing the club. Was Jockey's departure, was that an influence? Did the two of them work well together and then taking one element of that away, did that change things a little? Yeah, I think Alec and Jockey and Drew Jarvey worked very well together. I think uh, Alec Smith um, was the manager as such. I think they were titles were co-managers but and, and Alex Smith was the manager as such. Jockey Scott was more hands-on with the players training and that type of thing. Jockey Scott's a brilliant coach, probably the best coach that uh, that I was involved with during my career and uh, he, he would uh, obviously with discussions with Alec and Drew and they would uh, Work with the player. Jockey would work with the players, set up all the training during the week with training functions, and then maybe shadow players to what we were going to do with the tactics at the, the Saturday, and um, and 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 Jockey would would have all that set out. And any time, any time the players were any player had a query about something, it was always Jockey that would go and ask. Um, but on the match day. Uh, Alec would do come in the dressing room, do the team talk. He was a kind of, I don't know, he was a kind of figurehead type person. Come in and do the team talk, and then hand over to Jockey to do a bit of a team talk as well. And I think maybe, I think maybe Jockey thought that he would maybe a, a, another opportunity where he could do the the whole thing, where he was totally in charge. Because uh, I think there is maybe, as there always are when two people talk about football, there's maybe some disagreements about some things, you know. Um, so I think Jockey was at the stage, he'd already been a manager, obviously, at Dundee. Um, so I think when the opportunity came up to be a manager on his own right, then uh, I think that's why he left. But it definitely left a big hole at, at the club. 
because Jockey, uh, he was a guy that did uh, did all the training, did all the functions, did all the the shadow play and all that kind of stuff. So uh, he he was a he was a tremendous uh, loss when he when he left. Yeah. And uh, so that sort of era as well. It's when um, you were obviously, unfortunately, getting a lot of injuries, so you weren't played as much uh, in that time. And there were other players coming in, like Lee Richardson, Paul Kane, starting to play in the midfield, very similar position to yourself. Um, and then ninety two, ninety three was wasn't a bad season, you know. They finished the, t- the team finished second and everything. Uh, so again, there's that positivity. Maybe we can kick on again, and then the following year. Uh, you play the, your last full season with the club. You play, you play a lot more games again, and then finish second in the league. There's so many draws that season. Twenty one draws in the in the league. Um, I think it was still two points for a win then, wasn't it as well? And uh, that the game against Torino in the Cup Winners Cup as well. Uh, that last season, obviously, you, you'd come back. You're playing a lot more. Um, was that? Were you still feeling it? Were you still feeling good about your game? Were you, were you happy with that season? Your your last season at the club. Yeah, well, just happy to be back playing because uh, I picked up a, a Achilles injury on my left side, my left uh, ankle, um, and uh, I ended up, I missed, I was out for 18 months with that, um, and then trying to come back from that. I had two operations on Achilles at the time. Um, Eric Ferguson, the physio from Dundee, came to the club halfway through that period or, or maybe a year into that injury that I had. And he actually took me after my second operation, which I went down to London for. Um, and the surgeon down in London, who was an Achilles expert, um, said I had uh, badly damaged the Achilles uh, by doing the wrong type of stuff with it when I was trying to uh, rehabilitate after my first operation and I had had kind of blown a hole through the middle of the tendon and that type of thing. He was going to stitch it back together, see how it went, but he said, you, you know, you might not be able to play at that level again. So um, I got that done. As I say, Eric Ferguson had came to the club. Um, he took me for rehabilitation after I had the, the plaster off it. I had the plaster off for 12 weeks or something, took it off. And I was maybe three, four months in terms of just very slowly rehabilitating that before I could fully run about and that type of thing. So I was just pleased really to get back and uh, and back playing. And Eric told me at the time, uh, you might find that you'll have the same problem. Because the problem I had with my Achilles wasn't really a serious problem to begin with. It was just because I'd handled it badly in terms of doing the wrong type of training and my rehabilitation that, that set it back again. So he said, you'll probably find, it was just, uh, you'll probably find your other Achilles will go as well. Just scar tissue you get on it. And he says, if, if your left one gathers scar tissue like that, there's a big chance that your other one will too. So right enough, six months later, the other one went the same way. And he said, just keep playing. Uh, it was very sore, but it eased off as I was playing through games, he says, well, you're not going to do any damage. Just keep playing as long as you can handle the, the, the pain side of things. And then we'll get you, uh, we'll get it cleaned up and it will be, this time, he says, it will be about six weeks 
until six to eight weeks and you'll be back. So we did that and it was the same thing happened and to get the operation Stuckey on for uh, four or five weeks, two or three weeks rehabilitation and I was back playing. And always think back to that in my career, a year and a half I was out with that first one because it wasn't handled properly. And the second one identical, two months. And I always look back in that and I thought, geez, that's more than a year out of my playing career for no reason. So I, I kind of I really regret that and think that was uh, not handled very well. But anyway, uh, I was, but at that point, I mean, I was getting on a wee bit. I was 33, coming to 34. Um, so, and Willie had taken over as a manager. Um, Jim Bett was leaving. Alec McLeish was leaving. I think maybe Willie at the time was looking for more, some younger players or things to come in. He, he played the game in a slightly different way from what previous manager had, Alex Smith. Um, so maybe suitable for different types of players. Um, but what came out of that was a move to Kilmarnock, which was my hometown side. Mm. And I was really pleased to get the opportunity to play there um, for a couple of years before I finished my career. Um, and I had no, no problems with the Achilles tendons either until I finished my career, I think three, three years later. Um, but I had problems with the legs. <laughs> when, you run, when you run anymore. But I played till I was 37, so I was very happy with, 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 with how it went. A few regrets along the way, but I have to say that in general, um, you know, for a ordinary player like myself, it was a decent decent career to look back on. So what, what, just when uh, you look back then at your, your, your eight years, uh, seven, eight years at Aberdeen, what um what are the big highlights? What are the ones that you, you look on and make you smile? Well the highlights are that period I spoke about winning the two cups and then the low light following almost immediately we losing the league in the last day of the season. So in that period there are main highlights and the the big low light, you know. And also mm. the, the injury that I had as well. Um but uh just playing with a club like Aberdeen is a fantastic thing because you are looking to win things. They're very uh, ambitious um, and and just being involved in the environment where there's a real winning environment is, is just opens your eyes to what that type of things like as well. Um, another thing looking back, I think, is uh, probably some missed opportunities because uh, in terms of moving, uh, as I say, agents were just a new thing. Um, they weren't uh, very common at the time, but they, they were operating. And there was a couple of kind of potential moves came to light. One of them, when Ian Porterfield was the manager, actually, and uh, the agent that used to take us on pre-season to uh, Germany, in Holland, he would organise all that for Fergie or Archie or Alex Smith. Um, he uh, he came to me and said there was a club interest in signing me at France. I was in and out of the team about we in Porterfield, and he was a manager. So um, 
the club was Lyon in France, and um, he had taken Eric Black across to France. He'd taken Matt McGee to Germany and Murdo McLeod to Germany, that type of thing, this agent. So um, I knew it wasn't a, a kind of, I knew he was capable of doing it. So I actually went over to France with him to visit Lyon and visit the manager there. We stayed with, we went to a, a Mets game before, stayed with Eric Black that night. He was playing with Mets. Um, and we went to that game and just to let me see the kind of style of football in France, which was very good. I, I, I liked the, the style. Um, spoke to them about uh, a, a house and a car and all the rest of it and wages that were five times what I was getting at Aberdeen. Um, and everything was, was, was sounded great. So I then uh, got on a plane to go back home and they said, the agent said, right, the two clubs are just finalising the, the, the fee. So I went back home, got off the plane in Aberdeen Airport, picked up the, the evening paper, front page headline, Ian Porterfield sacked. <laughs> so when I got to Pataudry in the morning, uh, Ian Donald, I think it was Ian Donald, one of the directors had spoke to me and said, look, uh, there's going to be a new manager coming in, so we're not going to be doing anything in terms of transfers until we see what the new manager wants. So as luck would have it, or depending on what way you want to look at it, bad luck would have it, or good luck would have it. I suppose you can look both ways, because when Alex Smith and Jockey Scott came in, they did a great job and I enjoyed my time there. But um, Alec and Jockey come in, and Jockey, obviously my ex-manager, had said to Alec, no, we're going to keep him, uh, and basically just pulled me in and said, look, we know you've been over in France and a possible deal, but uh, we're not going to let you go. We're going to be staying here. And that was the end of it. I just uh, got on with it and, and, uh, and look back now and think, I wonder what would happen if I'd went to, to France to live, you know, with family and all the rest of it. Just yeah. these... Kind of sliding doors type thing, you know. Well, that's path. it. That's very true. Very true. But um, a, a great spell at Aberdeen, and one one that's fondly remembered by the fans. So the fans always fondly remember you, of course. Um, but uh, from a personal standpoint, I, I first started. I was about eight, nine years old when I first went to Pataudry. Um So about that 1990, 91 era, and um, just doing this has given me opportunity to speak to some of the guys, like yourself and I spoke to Brian last week as well uh, guys that were in the teams when I was growing up it's just an absolute joy to talk to you a real a real a real treat real treat I really appreciate your your time uh, Robert I really do mm-hmm.